Welcome to We Belong Here, Lessons from Unconventional Paths to Tech. I'm your host, Lauren Lee. And who am I? I was your wacky 10th grade English teacher who would occasionally rap a Shakespearean soliloquy, would always encourage a live performance of a book report, and would occasionally dress up in costume as Professor Dumbledore to host an ethics debate, who then, after nearly a decade, decided to take the massive leap of faith to attend a coding boot camp, switch careers, and dive deep into the tech industry. I've been surprised by how many of the skills and lessons I learned as an educator have translated to my role in tech. So that got me thinking, have you taken a non-traditional route to tech? Or are you interested in transitioning yourself? This is a podcast that aims to interview career changers and folks who are diversifying tech. We'll hear stories from people who've taken unique paths and chat about the skills that they've transferred to their roles today. We're hoping to create a space for people to learn from one another, develop confidence, and debunk the antiquated notion that a computer science degree is required to succeed in tech. Come on, everyone. Let's dive in. My guest today studied fashion design at the Fashion Institute of Technology, where she specialized in sportswear. She designed for Levi's and Jordan and was a merchandiser at REI. In 2017, she decided to take the leap and learn to code, and she and I attended Ada Developers Academy together. She was a software development intern at Blue Origin, Jeff Bezos' space company, and today is a software engineer at Indeed.com. She's wildly talented, a ridiculously fast learner, and a very creative thinker. She loves hiking and cooking, mixology, video games, and collecting mid-century modern furniture. She's a self-proclaimed relentless optimist, and I'm so excited to chat with her today about how her skills from a design background have translated into a career in software development. Her name is Kate Spitzer, and I am so stoked to have her on this show Thank you so much for being a guest, Kate. Hi, thank you for having me. (laughs) Let's start at the beginning. Okay, can you tell me more about the experiences that you had before you entered the tech industry? Um, Yeah, so I, like you said, I have a bachelor's degree, well, an associate's degree in fashion design with a bachelor's degree in sportswear, sportswear being a general term for everyday clothing, as well as activewear or outerwear. Oh, so the zoom in to athleisure Right. Yeah, it's a weird, outdated term that comes from the fact that the casual clothes people started wearing first was from tennis, so it was sportswear, but like t-shirts and jeans are considered sportswear. So I went on to work in children's wear, designing for Levi's Kids for two years, and then did a brief stint for Jordan Kids for moving back to Seattle, where there is not much of a fashion design industry. (laughs) <laughs> and so I decided to switch to a career that definitely existed in Seattle. I see. Um, and that I'd always found interesting. I, if I hadn't gone into fashion design, I would have gone into software probably. Okay. Interesting. What, what kept you, would you say, from doing that in the first place then? I think there's a, a handful of different factors. Mm. I think my dad worked at Microsoft. Now he works at GoDaddy. So he, software was kind of the family business, mm. um, which I think made it seem a little less exciting to me, <laughs> even though that's also why I knew I was interested in it. Mm-hmm. I, but I think that I kind of had the reputation of being the creative one in the family. And so I felt like, 
oh, I should go do creative stuff. And I really had gotten into fashion design. So let's go do that. I can live in New York City. And Um, software in your mind wasn't creative. Right. And so that wasn't the space for you to pursue. Exactly. It was, was, oh, I'm the artist. I should go. I'm the artist in the family. I'm going to go do art, clothing art, which is funny. Even within fashion design, I ended up gravitating towards activewear and sportswear because it was less arty. I was never actually interested in the avant-garde stuff that I think a lot of people think of. When the they couture. Think of that. Yeah. Yeah. No interest at all. So in the end, I wasn't even artsy enough for art school. Huh. That's so funny. And so then you return home to Seattle. Mm-hmm. And is that when you decided that you were like, I want to go and learn to code? What was that journey like for you? There's kind of some overlap in there because I did start applying for Ada when I when I was in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't just, I come back to Seattle, what should I do now? The, the thought of transitioning into software had been in my head already, but I was scared of making the transition. I knew that I'd gotten through college tuition once. I didn't really want to do it again. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ada was kind of the only thing I knew of to make that jump. So that was kind of, I'm just going to keep applying until this works. And eventually <laughs> it worked. And so can you tell me more about what you do today Indeed? Yeah. So Indeed has a kind of new internal recruiting system called Indeed Hire. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically instead of where a lot of Indeed is anyone who's a recruiter anywhere will make job postings on Indeed or anyone who's hiring. Uh, this is, we are the recruiters. So it's that a company comes to us and says, Hey, I want to fill XYZ position. Okay. And we go, okay, great. We'll send you candidates. And we have a recruiting team in Austin. So I work not on the recruiting team, but I work on the team, the Seattle office, uh, we are the higher source team. So we focus on finding the candidates and evaluating the candidates and passing those on. Oh, cool. I work basically on the most back end part of that. My job is all data all the time, which again, makes it funnier that I come from a design background because I think my, my assumption and other people's assumption was that I would want to do something front end when people would ask me like, Oh, what are you interested in front end or back end? People almost assumed and filled me. I assumed that it would be front end. And I even said, I was like, well, I don't really know yet, but I think you, UX design is UX UI design is going to be what I'm into. And instead I'm like, no, give me data. I don't want to see a single picture. Well, and I will say having pair programmed with you before, you are incredibly talented with the design and UX and you have a good eye for it. And the fact that that isn't something that you want, like you can be good at things and decide that that's not something you are passionate about though. And that you want to pursue something different is really neat. I think about you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, sometimes I wonder if maybe it's because I have a design background that that stuff stresses me out. Uh, so you have an it's eye like, for it. It's like a known unknowns thing. But I'm worried that, yeah, that I feel like oh, I have to keep up with all the color trend. I have to yeah. know what's – I have to learn all the newest thing all the time. Yeah. Which, I mean, I guess that's true of software everywhere. But In general. maybe I just – I feel like I see it. Maybe I get more competitive about it. I don't know. No, no, no. Absolutely. But, yeah, I feel like back end is where I feel comfortable. What do you love most about back end? Why, why, why does it make your heart sing? Um, I think <laughs> – <laughs> implying that it does. No, it, it kind of does. Um, no, I think you've you had I think like a light bulb moment at Ada where you're like, yeah. oh, this is I'm pursuing back end and back end only. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Where, why? What? What happened uh, for you? I don't like JavaScript. Okay, a lot of it, honestly. Um, like. <laughs> no, but I think, and it's funny to say it out loud because it makes so much sense in my head, but mm-hmm. I feel like it must not be true for a lot of people. To me. The stuff I do with backend feels more like magic tricks to me. Um, like when I can change some things and all of a sudden data is being handled differently, I feel like 
probably most people feel like that when you can make a tangible difference to like a website yeah, or an application. Yeah, really magically. I feel too. like yeah, I feel but like that's what you. I would exactly. Like when I say it out loud, I think logically, I think that front end stuff would feel more magical because you can see <laughs> things changing. But for some reason, the fact that I'm just like, well, now what if we did this with the data? And yeah. it was like, now it's something else. And it was like, look at me, I did weird magic where strange numbers floated around differently. I love that about you though, that you thought I need to find a role in which I can feel most like a magician. And yeah. so you did. I, yes. I mean, I've thought this before that writing code feels like being like a witch who's doing like your magic spells. You mm -hmm. just like, you put, you learn like the words and you put the magic words together and something happens. Absolutely. Yeah. It's its own language in that regard completely. And I am a huge Harry Potter obsessor. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, I wonder if that has anything to do with it. I, there are moments where I do feel really, yeah. really powerful in a really yeah. interesting way. Uh, yeah, for sure. Okay. Very cool. And so Kate, can you tell me about how your past as a designer has helped you today in your role as an engineer? I think this is kind of, again, going back to the how unexpected it was where I ended up. but um, And also going back to when I said that I wasn't artsy enough for art school. I think what I did, I think people have a misconception about how creative the day-to-day -day of a fashion designer is. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think people tend to think of it as, oh, you're making evening gowns and wedding dresses and couture. Most fashion designers yeah. are making like the pants you're wearing right now or the socks you're wearing mm -hmm. right now. Yeah, I pictured them in a park with a canvas <laughs> sketching a beautiful gown. Right, and some people do that. But what I was doing was I was in a cubicle at an office and some of it is that you're doing trend research and you're mm -hmm. going to trade shows. Mm -hmm. But a lot of it is I need to take a concept. I need to, once I, you know, you draw it and all that. But a lot of my job is there's someone, you know, overseas at one of our factories who needs to make this pattern, who needs to, especially with denim, there's so much, they need to figure out how do you dye it? What's the enzymes that you're using? Where are you doing the sandblasting? You can't actually legally do sandblasting anymore. What are we doing instead? How are you doing this damage? How are we making it safe for children? So a lot of what you're doing is design charts, which are just like they're specs, basically, oh. or literally. And so a lot of being a fashion designer is very much you could probably also call it being a clothing engineer. Like mm -hmm. you are engineering clothing. You're saying, here's how this needs to work. And I need to communicate that to someone. Interesting. And then conversely, I think that software is a lot more creative than a lot of people give it credit for. Yeah. I'm really glad we're talking about that today because I don't think that that is a narrative in mm -hmm. pop culture or just like general understanding about yeah. it. So you found ways to incorporate your love for design mm -hmm. and creativity with your new role. Right. I mean, it's, yeah, it's creative problem solving in either way. It's, I know that I'm starting with raw denim in this shape and I want it to look like this and I mm -hmm. want it to be different in these ways. How can we make it do mm -hmm. that? It's the same way where if I say we have this information and we want to try and make sure that we're getting people, we're recommending people jobs that they actually want. How can we do that? Either way, the middle of it is that you find a problem and then you review your design with other people and you all come up with a solution and you figure out how to make it happen. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm doing design reviews at my current job and I did design reviews at my last job. <laughs> so the skills have really translated. Yeah, I think in terms of, yeah, just problem solving and being able to work with a team also to say like, hey, am I on the right track with mm -hmm. this? Does this make sense? Does this seem like what I should be doing now? Mm -hmm. I mean, even just being like, hey, this new technology seems neat. We should look into this. Mm -hmm. It's just, yeah, it, everything's going to change in the same way that you can be like, oh, jeans need to be tapered now. Yeah. We got to figure Watching out joggers. Kate, can you share any life lessons that you've learned 
from your transition to tech? Uh, I think one of the big things is that there is the big myth of if you want to write software, you have to be really smart, you have to be really good at math, and you have to know what a motherboard does. <laughs> I use less math now that I can tell a computer to do it for me than I did when I was having to figure out the diameter of a mm. skirt or whatever. And I, I mean, I went to a state college, but I effectively went to a trade school. All mm. I learned about basically all day was how to do this very specific set of skills yeah. that does not really, there's broader transferable skills, but in terms of how do you sew a flat felt seam, that's pretty specific. Very. And I think that there's this misconception that you have to get this big fancy degree from this big fancy Ivy League school to know how to effectively speak a language and engineer a very specific type of product. And I think to me, it seems much more similar to the skills that one would learn at a trade school. I mean, I think going through a boot camp effectively is going through a trade school, yeah. especially because a lot of people are coming from previous jobs and educations. People tend to still have that same generalized education that you would get getting a, a liberal arts degree or any other degree at a college. So you really are just the parts you need to know are pretty specific, especially because they change so quickly. Yeah. You can have a CS degree that you got 20 years ago and you know C or assembly or whatever. Right. Um, that's not going to help you write like a spring application yeah, or a Rails app. Anymore. You have to keep learning. You have to learn new stuff. And so I think the skills that you're learning are so specific. There are broader skills, like there's design skills and there's concepts and things. But I think that the specific skills you need, you have to get taught specifically. I think that there's no, there's no like magic, like, oh, I'm so good at math that I just know Java now. Absolutely. And I think that that stereotype is prevalent and it is pervasive in our society. And so the more we can talk about in just these conversations mm -hmm. and prove our, to our employers and find companies that believe us also and, and really are encouraging of and open, I think, too, to those like us that are entering the industry in right. a different way is a great way to demonstrate that that's not the case. Yeah. Software developers are in such high demand. And that's kind of the everyone goes to software because it's that thing of there's in 10 years, I, I'm going to quote a statistic that I this is not going to be correct. But it's something like, oh, in 10 years, there's we're going to need X number of software developers. And there's only going to be a number that is less than X. And so it's sure. one of the only fields where the demand is growing faster than the supply. So everyone go to software and they're all going to fight over you because they need these devs. And all of that is true. But I think that the then part, which is like, oh, and it's too bad because only the smartest people can become software devs. Yeah. So how could we ever meet this demand? Yeah. And it's, I mean, I guess to stop treating it like it's so, I mean, okay. Stop treating it like it's so hard sounds really condescending. And I, it is hard. It takes a lot of work. Stop treating it like only a specific kind of person could do it. No, I think that's super fair. And I think it is important to remember when you're feeling down about not having that particular path mm -hmm. yourself. And so you can succeed in it. So um, can you tell me about a time that you have felt like an outsider and how you've dealt with those feelings? Yeah, uh, I think having to deal with some of the more lower level, close to the metal parts of like our servers and things like that. There is a part where I realized that people who went through a CS degree, at least compared to what I've done growing up, do have a better understanding of computer science, as it says in the name. So it's things like <laughs> me, I have to catch up more on learning things like what, what does it mean if this server is doing that? What does yeah. it mean if the CPU is this and that? Mm -hmm. What does it mean if like, what is, how does that compare to heat memory? How does that compare to and it's learnable. You know, I, I'm not, it's not stuff that I'm going to have to, it's not something that I'm going to run into so quickly that I can't also learn it. Yeah, um, you can learn it on the job. Mm -hmm. But it is one of those things where people with a 
similar amount of industry experience to me, that is one thing where I notice more of a stark difference, a difference in, in our knowledge base. How do you handle those feelings? I get a new cup of coffee yep. and uh, step away from the computer. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm lucky in that I feel like I have a team where I could ask those questions. Well, I, yeah, I think you're implicitly saying find a team where you can ask those questions, yeah. right? Yeah, like yeah, that's yeah. ultimately, or not everyone has a space where they can ask and feel safe mm -hmm. to, to demonstrate that they're confused or something yeah. like that. And if there is a low supply of software engineers, there's an even lower supply of teams that are going to be cool about that kind of thing. I mean, just in general, software, as rare as apparently software engineers are, emotional intelligence is generally a pretty undervalued skill in this industry. And it's something that, especially if you're going to come as someone who's not part of that cookie cutter stereotype of what a software engineer is, you need people who are going to be emotionally intelligent mm -hmm. and aren't going to hold you to standards that don't really make sense yeah. or don't need to exist. <laughs> That's super fair. Okay, so Kate, do you have any advice for those that are wanting to learn to code or transition into tech that you can share? For me personally, I'm a very kinesthetic learner yeah. and I lose interest quickly or lose focus quickly when I don't understand the practical application of things I'm doing. Uh. Um, a lot of trouble I had learning early on was that people would, you know, the first time you learn a function, they're like, do you see how it does this part for you? Yeah. And the whole time I was like, why? Why just write the code that it does? Why do you need me to give it a name and put it over here? And also, why are the variables all different now? Yeah. That was one of those things where I had to sit down and like put away the tutorial and just make it do it myself over and over again until I figured out why it was useful. There's a subreddit that's, I think, learn programming. It's just challenge, like daily challenges or as people think of them, they'll throw them up there and they're like ranked by difficulty. Mm -hmm. When you're first learning, at least when I was first learning, even the easy ones were really hard for me. But just even beginning to try was really useful for me as someone who needed tangible things to do. It was like, here's a challenge. I know why I'm writing this. Yeah. It's not just how do I print my name? Now, how do I print my name and age? <laughs> and it was reverse how, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, no, I think that's a great resource. Uh, and also what I hear you saying is that you figured out how you best learn yeah. and you leaned into that and you didn't try to force yourself to do Code Academy tutorials that weren't going to mm -hmm. tap into your kinesthetic learning. Uh, and so to kind of really have a narrow focus on those things is really important for those because there are thousands upon thousands of resources out there. And mm -hmm. so filing through it is a difficult thing. Yeah, I'm not someone who can learn code from reading a book but those people exist yeah and thus safari books is still mm -hmm. a well yeah funded company but yes yeah, so yeah absolutely I think that, that said that's... i have really been enjoying reading code design books oh sure um, well that's different right it's different. because that's understanding the thought process behind yeah the narrative almost of it right of how to solve the problem yeah in, it's in a less... different way than you mm -hmm. may have thought of yeah for sure okay kate make your shout out or would you like listeners to go check out my kind of pet caused recently has been as, I mean, my company has been leaning more into machine learning, but I think that the industry at large has also been leaning into machine learning totally. um, and AI and things like that. I would encourage everyone to do some reading up on ethics in machine learning. I think it's really interesting. I think it's really important mm -hmm. um, as someone who works at a company where we're dealing with people who are job hunting Mm -hmm. um, and interviewing for jobs. I think it's something that's super important for me Wildly to be looking at. So. Yes. yes. There was some internal talks about, about ethics in uh, machine learning. 
and someone pointed to, at Indeed, someone pointed to the fact that every single time you talk about bias, the first go-to example is in hiring bias. And so <laughs> they were saying, we really, really, really need to make sure that we're being intentional about this. Well, um, I'm happy to hear that you're being thoughtful. Yes. And you, as a person that is writing that code, is doing the research yourself. So. Mm -hmm. Yes, I highly encourage people to follow that in general. I think it's it's one of the things that will be a huge conversation. It's a huge conversation now. I think it will continue to get bigger. Cool. Thanks for predicting the future. For yeah, us. that's my trend that. forecasting. Heck yeah. <laughs> okay, Kate, where can people find you online? The best place is Twitter. I am K8, the number eight, Spitzer. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks so much for chatting mm -hmm. with me today, Kate. Thank you. And that's a wrap on another episode of We Belong Here, Lessons from Unconventional Paths to Tech. Be sure to rate and subscribe anywhere you can find podcasts and check us out next week for another story and lessons learned from an unconventional path to tech.